Friends, today we are concluding our sermon series about Sabbath by reading from the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy, the first two verses, and then verses 7 through 11. This is the Lord God instructing the Israelites. Every seventh year, you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall, remain, shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. If there is any among you who is in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some who are in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come this morning not to hear a human word, but to hear you speak into our lives. May we hear only your voice. May we be changed for the better. And may we leave this place built up to love and serve a hurting world. We ask this all in your name. Amen. This seventh year of Jubilee, when debts should be forgiven, may sound a little odd in a sermon series about Sabbath. We've talked about Sabbath for two other weeks. The first week, we talked about how Sabbath is supposed to be a rest, that even the Lord God rested after creating everything. God created all that is and then gives it to humanity. And if God rests, then we too are to rest. We then remembered the following week that not only are we to have a Sabbath rest, but we are supposed to make the Sabbath holy. We are supposed to dedicate a Sabbath time to the Lord God. And that means that we lay aside all of those fears and worries and we rest from that too. And we remember that the Lord God is caring for us in all that we do and in all that we say. And now we come to the seventh year, the Jubilee. Now, it's an interesting thing to tell the ancient Israelites, particularly where God does in this passage of Deuteronomy about a year of Jubilee, because the ancient Israelites bleh, at this point have only known two things. The ancient Israelites have known how to be enslaved. Yes, they've been slaves in Egypt. And they've known how to be in the desert. That's all they've known. 
And if you think about it, those are terrible situations, but in a certain way, they're fairly straightforward. When they were enslaved, they made no choices on their own. They did only what their slave masters told them to do. And then they go into the Exodus time, out into the wilderness, and they had no choices there either. They must rely on food from God. They complain a lot, but they don't have a lot of choices of things that they can do or exert their autonomy out into the world. And so by the time we get to this passage, the Lord God is about to lead them into the promised land. And when they are in the promised land, no longer will they be slaves No longer will they be without. They're going into the land of milk and honey. And they will suddenly have their own land. They will be able to grow their own food. They will be able to build homes and structures. You see what's about to happen is that God's chosen people are suddenly going to have a measure of wealth. That's what they're going to have. And with that wealth comes a whole lot of choices. And so before they go into the promised land, the Lord God tells them, remember the Lord your God when you go into the promised land, and God says, you are going to be in a position where you can loan money, where you can give. And I am telling you that on the seventh year, if someone holds a debt, you are to forgive it. Forgive it completely. And not only that, but don't be hard-hearted because you have to care for those who are needy. I find it so interesting that God knows humanity so very well because in this passage, God knows two things. One, that when people begin to acquire things and wealth, they start to think it's something they've done on their own as opposed to belonging to God. And we start to get in this place in our heads where we judge other people. We start to have the mean thought that says, maybe if that person worked harder, they wouldn't need anything from me. Maybe if that person were, had not made so many terrible choices, they wouldn't need anything from me. And the Lord God says, that's not who you are to be. You are my people And just like God gave us creation and all that is in it, and we can't make more time or more of those things that God created in that same way, all of the things in the world belong to God. And we may have stewardship over them for the time, but because we are God's people, we are charged with caring for those who have less. I actually don't even think it's about the people who are needy. It's not about someone coming to us and proving that they really need help. It's about us being in a position, can we do it or not? If the answer is yes, we do it because we are God's people and God has told us to care for the needy. That's the beauty of the story of the prodigal son. At no point does the father say, You've made some really bad choices, and I bet you were hardly even working when you were over there in your dissolute living. No, instead, the father just opens his arms and welcomes him in. 
I identify a lot with the older brother. I don't know about any of you, but that's certainly who I identify with when I read that. And today I was struck over and over again where the father says, listen, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. If we believe in this parable that Jesus is telling that God is the father, then God is saying to all of us, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You are not diminished when you care for other people. You're not even diminished when you care for someone who doesn't deserve it. You aren't diminished when you forgive someone, relieve their burden, even when they don't deserve it. Because the truth is that we are going to come to the end of our lives and we're going to hope that the Lord God sees us coming and like the Father opens his arms instead of reminding us of all the ways that we have fallen short. God welcomes and loves and offers grace because that is who God is. And guess what? If we're going to call on the name of Jesus Christ, we have to be a people who offer help and love and grace. I was thinking about that this past week when I read a story about a man named Braden Morton. And I started reading the story because it was about a dog. And I really love dogs. But um, the story was he was in his house one day and he heard someone in his backyard and he looked and someone was stealing his dog, Darla. Darla was stolen. And he's really upset about this. He saw the vehicle that they were in. He calls the police. They take a report. He realizes that that's as far as it's going to go. So he starts thinking, what can I do? And so he gets on social media and says, this is my dog, Darla. Here's a picture. She was stolen today from my yard. It was a blue truck. And he sends that out into the interwebs. And he gets like hundreds of responses. And he goes and follows a few of them, and they all turn up that no one has Darla, and they don't know where Darla is. And about a week later, his phone rings, and he picks it up, and he says, hello, and there's silence on the line. And he says, hello, and then he realizes that it's not silence, it's someone sobbing, just sobbing. And he said he knew immediately that this person had his dog. And so... He can hear this person sobbing and he says, do you have Darla? And this woman says, yes. And he said, I have $6,000. That's what the reward is for Darla. I'll meet you at this certain place. Please be there. And he goes and there's a young woman there still sobbing. And he looks at her and he thinks, I know, I know this woman because he didn't really know her, but what he knew is that she was a drug addict. He could see it was written all over her. And he gives her a hug. And he says, you know, I've done some pretty terrible things that I've been forgiven for. You're going to be okay. And then he says, you know, the reward is $6,000. But instead of that, why don't you come with me? And I'm going to take you to a treatment center. And she said, yes, which is a miracle. And he takes her and he puts her in rehab and it costs a whole lot more than $6,000. But he covers it for her 
because he'd only been free of drugs himself for three or four years. And he said when he first saw this young woman, all he could think is there but for the grace of God go I. I like to think that I am different from other people. But friends, when we see the needy and the troubled and the criminal, our first thought should be there but for the grace of God go I. Not someone to be judged, but someone to be loved and cared for and helped. You know, nowhere in all of Scripture does the Lord God say to the Israelites, you should not be blessed. He doesn't say that. God blesses the Israelites over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I have been blessed over and over again. And instead of saying you shouldn't be blessed, the Lord God says... Now, go and help. Go and serve. Get rid of the mean thought that says someone doesn't deserve it. Open your clenched fists and offer someone grace and help and forgiveness, just as has been offered to you by our Lord and Savior. Thanks be to God for a God who looks at us each and sees only a beloved child and waits to welcome us home. Amen.